I'm Amy Jo Martin. Welcome to the Why Not Now show. You know that thing you've been thinking about doing? Yeah, that one. Why not now? Have you ever actually taken the time to ask yourself, what's stopping me? Let's talk it through. This is your chance to give that idea the attention it deserves and take action. Each episode, I have a chat with a fascinating person from entrepreneurs to athletes, celebrities, my parents, rocket scientists, and all walks of life. We talk through a critical time when they've asked themselves, why not now? We dissect that day or even that moment, step by step. Today's show is part two of the best of 2019 on the Why Not Now show. So I went through again, selected a few of my favorites, a few of yours, and the theme among these guests revolves around time management, one of my favorite topics. It really doesn't matter what you do and how good you are at certain things if you don't have control over how you spend your time and how you manage your time. Now, as a new mom, this has become extremely clear to me. (laughs) It's actually very simple, yet, of course, in application, it's a bit complex. But conceptually, this is pretty simple. And as you heard me talk a lot this year about essentialism, one of the guests on the show is Greg McEwen. He's the author, New York Times bestselling author of Essentialism. He's third in the lineup today. First, we have Kate Northrup, who is the author of bestseller Do Less. And secondly, we have Kat Cole, who is a business powerhouse. She's the COO and president of Focus Brands. Now, Focus Brands is an umbrella company of a lot of different brands that you all know. We are lucky to have Kate, Kat, and Greg, because they are voices of authority when it comes to time management. Now, as an aside, one of the episodes that really received a lot of feedback and seemed to resonate a ton this year was my solo episode all about managing your email inbox. So I'm just going to mention this briefly in the event that is something that feels like it is just sucking up your time. It's episode 157. I talk through my strategy, my autoresponder, and how I've decreased my email by probably 80-ish percent or so. Of all the innovative renegades that I've interviewed and had the chance to work closely with, the one common denominator that they all have is that they have a healthy relationship with time. Now, it's not perfect, of course, but their success is in large part due to their ability to manage their day, prioritize, and really shake hands with the clock. So as you think about your goals for this upcoming year, this upcoming decade, really, let's take it year by year first. 
it's it's critical. It should be a fundamental. You know, we can always have room to improve our relationship with time and our efficiency, how we manage our day, our essentialism, whatever you want to call it. But it's something that I know I strive to focus on um, again and again and again. And it's it's always something that helps me just get more out of life. Our time is our one non-renewable resource. Are you ready for change? Or maybe you're already in a season of expansion. As we embrace this new decade, are you ready to take action on your own why not now idea? Maybe that means starting the company, launching the podcast, writing the book, or doing more public speaking, injecting your why into what you are doing. At the end of the day, that is exactly what creates connection. And connections convert. My life work is to help guide women through this very stage in their life. I do this through the Renegade Brand Bootcamp. It truly is the career love of my life. The reason I love this program so much is because I'm able to create a mosaic, a collection of like-minded, like-hearted, driven women who come together to level up. They learn the renegade mentality directly from me, and I share everything I've learned over the past 20 years in business. It's equal parts education, collaboration, accountability, and community. We are accepting applications for our 2020 program, and you are welcome to go check everything out about the program at renegadebrandbootcamp.com. And as a very first step, just sign up for my five-day email series. I uncover all of the questions about the bootcamp and help you understand if it's right for you. We've had some incredible women come through the program, and you will hear from them as well. You can check out the curriculum, the structure, the vibe, and everything in between. Many years ago, I went to Mark Cuban and asked him for investment advice. I thought I was going to get some real estate or stock market type of advice. Instead, he said, invest in yourself. Invest in your own growth. Invest in yourself. Bet on yourself. This is the best ROI you will ever find. If you're at that point where you are ready to take action, head to renegadebrandbootcamp.com. We tackle the most taboo topics on the Why Not Now show. Oftentimes, you're hearing guests share things they've never shared before. In the spirit of things we don't typically talk about, you should know that the Why Not Now show is supported by Poopery, the original before-you-go toilet spray. It's magic. My friends at Poopery have literally taken the smell out of you-know-what. This pure blend of essential oils stops bathroom odor before it begins. Visit poopery.com and Why Not Now listeners get 20% off with code Why Not Now. That's all one word. And you can hear the story about Poopery in our interview with founder Susie Batiste. That's Why Not Now, episode 28. Poopery is also available at Target. So our first guest is Kate Northrup. You've probably heard of the book, Do Less. It was quite the hit. We talk a little bit about that in this 
clip, but Kate really talks about what it means and how you actually arrive at doing less. As a society that romanticizes and sometimes glorifies being busy and uses busy as a signifier of importance, Kate has really allowed people to understand how by doing less, we can actually get so much more out of life. And what's interesting is that in a lot of cases, when we choose to do less, we are also enabling ourselves and kind of demanding that we take stock of what's really going on internally too. There are situations where we just are busy. We intentionally make ourselves busy because we don't want to maybe deal with something that's going on. And um, that's just another side effect of doing less. Here's Kate. Kate, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here today. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. And let's hop right in. Can you tell me about a time when you had a big decision to make and you had to ask yourself, why not now? We'll talk through that minute, that day, hour, season, and dissect how you went from idea to action. I mean, there are so many when I, you know, when I received this question in prep, um, of course, there are so many of these moments. And I think that my husband and I, who also run our company together, um, have talked about that, that we think that one of the reasons we've been able to do so well, meaning, you know, just create a business that we love and serve a lot of people is because we are really fast decision makers. Like we just know and then we go for it. So one moment like this was actually many, many years ago. Well, I mean, relatively. (laughs) It was in 2012. And my book, Money, A Love Story, was just in its infancy. So I think I had written like a chapter of it. Um, And it was coming out in September of 2013. And what happened is we had a bunch of people in our community. I'd been blogging for three years or two, yeah, two and a half years. Um, And we had a lot of people in our community asking for this material that I'd been hinting at about um, about financial well-being and, and really a new perspective to apply to the personal finance industry that I'd been practicing in my own life and that I'd been teaching in these women and wealth seminars. And they wanted it. And I was like, well, sorry, you know, my book's coming out in September 2013. So, you know, you just basically have to wait for a year and a half. <laughs> And my husband, Mike, who sometimes is a better business person than I am, was like, let's create something. Like, let's make something for these people. And at the time, we were really just getting started online. You know, we didn't really know what we were doing at all. You know, Mike knew just enough of programming to be dangerous. And I like... (laughs) knew how to send an email and write a blog. And um, and so we just decided to put together our first program, the Money Love Course, and I hadn't even created it before we just figured, well, what the hell? Let's, let's see if people are interested. So we threw up a sales page, of, you know, a checkout system through, just through PayPal, just a simple PayPal button. And um, I wrote a couple of promotional emails and we made like 200 sales wow. in a week. Amazing! I sold something I'd never made before. I and, did, it, it, and you hadn't made it yet. Right? I did make this. Yeah. 
I oh, I love yeah. this. And there's so yeah, many things. Well, sure. Like, well, it goes back to what you said in the beginning about making quick decisions when you know they are in alignment and and you're ready to rock. The quicker, kind of, the better. And I've found that as well. And then the fact that. There's a quote that we use a lot on this show, especially when you talk about going from idea to action, like how are we going to green light something? And Julius Caesar said, if you want to take the island, you burn your boat, right? So you burn your boat. Don't give yourself an out, even though if you Google it, it looks like Tony Robbins said it. He's just an amazing marketer, <laughs> but I think it's actually a little older than him. Um, uh, but it's it's so true. You burned your boat. You started promoting a class or a course, a, an offering, digital product without having it yet. And I've seen this happen recently in my Renegade Brand Bootcamp program with a woman who did the same thing. And then she was so motivated to go create it because it was resonant and people were were signing up. So once you got those 200 signups, I bet you were like, heck yeah, man, I'll I'll make it. <laughs> well, yeah. And then also, to be honest, then I was on the hook. So I... Yes. Um, like other people, I have a lot on my plate. You know, at this point in my life, I'm in a different season than I was at that time, but I have two small children. Um, you know, we have a company, I've got a couple of books, products, things. And um, another super simple example of, I know that this was not your prompt, but I'm going to tell you another example of a why not. Bring it. Love it. <laughs> was, was like two weeks before my book was coming out, I got this opportunity to do a book launch party in Los Angeles. And it was also one of those why not now moments because I really did want to do a live event in celebration, but for a variety of reasons, I didn't have a lot of bandwidth to make that happen. But it was suddenly just like right there for me. And what was so cool about that moment and also the moment where we created the Money Love Course is... There are so many things pulling for our attention at any given time. And so sometimes the thing that we really want to do, like writing the book or creating the digital course or launching our group coaching or holding the live event, like we don't do it because the laundry needs to get done and there's emails coming in with deadlines and other things. And so the great thing about both of these moments where I said yes to doing this thing and I sold something that didn't exist and I, you know, basically put myself on the line to fill a room is it makes it a priority really fast because other people are then depending on you. (laughs) So it makes you show up, which is such a great thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a, that's a great why not now example. So let's talk a little bit about how it can feel uncomfortable to do less. So we're used to being, I'm using air quotes here, busy, which that word just, it just is like nails on a chalkboard a bit because busy people who are over capacity can become highly annoying where they just can't, you know, they can't necessarily focus on anything. (laughs) And I heard a recent um, conversation I think it was Derek Sivers and, and Tim Ferriss talking about how when they when they see people who are that busy per se, it just makes them feel like they they just don't have control over their life. They don't they aren't capable of, of managing their life. And I know that sounds pretty drastic, but it is those it, when you're around someone who just is spinning. Not only do you catch that energy, but it's it's like whoa, okay, this is not something that should be glorified whatsoever. 
Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that we've been taught that if you're more busy, you're more important. Mm -hmm. So there's this, again, it's back to that self-worth piece of, oh, well, if I have all these things on my plate, then I must be needed, which means I must be valuable. And so we just have to unravel that and begin to define our worth elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, based on who we are, not what we do. And yes, being uncomfortable with doing less is a very real thing because we also stay busy to avoid feeling things. You know, I know for me, for example, we had this very dramatic morning with my four-year-old. She was having, wow, I mean, the amount of drama that can come out of this girl. And then <laughs> it turned into me and my husband having this interaction that was like not awesome because we were both stressed out. And basically I just felt kind of icky and I could feel myself wanting to just dive into work for the day because I didn't want to feel the discomfort of feeling like I probably could have handled my parenting differently. I probably could have handled the interaction with my husband differently. It brought to light a couple of things that he and I need to discuss to get on the same page about. And that felt kind of like a little heavy. So there were several things that I did not feel like feeling. And I could have easily just gotten right distracted because of course I have plenty of things to do. We all do. But instead I went and I sat on my little yoga a blanket in my closet, which is where I meditate. And I just (laughs) sat and I breathed for 10 minutes and I allowed my central nervous system to like feel what it was feeling and, um, and kind of pass all those emotions through my body so that they didn't get stuck. So I actually felt what I was feeling and then eventually calmed my central nervous system down and really asked my inner self, like what, you know, what information do I need right now? And then I was able to go about my day from a much more grounded, centered place. And that has felt awesome. So the thing is that we have a lot of addictions. We have a lot of numbing behavior, watching TV, um, you know, alcohol, too much sugar, all kinds of things can be numbing behavior and working can definitely be a numbing behavior and being busy, rushing can be a numbing behavior because if we slow down, then we actually need to be with ourselves. And that can be quite uncomfortable if there are some things that you've been avoiding feeling. To listen to the entire conversation with Kate, head to episode 157. And by the way, we have a new search feature on my website. If you go to amyjomartin.com forward slash why not now and scroll down, you can just type in Kate, type in Northrup, and um, you will find her episode there pretty pretty easily. So there's our new search function. Compliments of the new website. Next up, we have Kat Cole. Kat is the COO and president of Focus Brands North America. She has had a string of career catapults. And at a very early age, she worked for some huge brands grew quickly, and became a vice president, executive vice president, and president of some big brands within her 20s and 30s. I really clicked with Kat. And she talks through how she makes decisions. And through the lens of making a decision in terms of saying yes or no to something that will be a time commitment, Kat talks through her step-by-step process and how she prioritizes. She also discusses how her values and priorities shift based on her life season. 
And when it comes to saying no, Kat admits that at one point she was not great at this. She said yes way too much, overcommitted, and ended up finding herself really in situations where she was letting herself down and letting others down. So she made some pretty big changes in how she evaluated a yes from a no and shares how specifically she uses the no tool and how sometimes she can even turn it into a yes when she's still not committing her own time. And this is super tactical and extremely functional, and I've been using this since the conversation with Kat. I will say it's still a journey for me, but I have been rewarded as I have learned to say no by being able to be more engaged in things to which I can say a much bigger yes. Mm. Um, And the way I got there was I screwed it up, right? I said yes to everything Mm. in the early days. And, and who knows why, because I um, felt that I had unlimited bandwidth and potential because statistically speaking, women tend to be more people pleasers and not want to let people down. Maybe it's just my personality. I don't know why. The point is it can come from different places. So this is broadly relevant, no matter what anyone's situation might be that's listening. But I just said yes to a lot and I paid the price. I paid the price because I got really tired and started having less energy for the things that I was saying yes to. I started, um, there's a period in my early 20s where I was saying yes to so much, I started letting people down. I'd show up late Mm -hmm. to everything. I'd have to cancel things. I mean, that is the universe screaming in your face, you're doing too much. Mm -hmm. And it was embarrassing for me. I was... um, disappointed that I was letting people down when obviously the reason I was saying yes is that I didn't want to let people down. <laughs> and so what I realized was in an effort to not let people down, I was, and then saying yes, I was doing exactly the opposite. And no one told me, no one sat me down. I just screwed it up so badly. I mean, I went through a period of time where I had so much on my plate. It was, it was hard to not recognize how much I was having to cancel or be late for in this period of a, just a few weeks And I just had enough. I was like, this isn't good. It's not good for me. I'm disappointing people. I had someone get very upset with me for canceling something, even though it was such a a generous contribution of time, money, energy that I was making. And then I felt, gosh, are they really right to be so mad? I mean, it was killing me to even be there. But I thought they didn't know that, right? They asked. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, sure. So it was just in my face that I was overcommitted. Mm. and um, and I was embarrassed, and I didn't, I knew I was better than that, and I realized ultimately what I wanted to do was make an impact, but I was actually making a negative impact by saying yes to everything. So I started throttling back because I felt I had no choice. Often we're forced to. <laughs> the universe was giving you enough signs. Eventually they get stronger and stronger, and was there a, is there a process you've learned in terms of evaluation of yes and no? Is it intuitive? How do you navigate between that decision? It's a very clear process. So first is I have developed processes to stay incredibly present and grounded in my values, which change over time, right? Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you have a baby. earlier than you thought. And and it's not that family wasn't always important to you. It's not that people or personal relationships weren't always important to you, but it's in a different order now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I give myself permission for my values to stay strongly rooted, but to evolve over time, especially through natural life stages. 
So one is staying grounded in my values, because if I'm grounded in my values, then while it doesn't necessarily tell me exactly what to say yes and no to um, or what to say no to, it does tell me the most important things I have to save space to say yes to. And that's protected. It's sort of that big rock analogy of what do you put in your cup first, you know, to optimize it. And it's the big rocks and it's, those are the things that you value the most. Um, so that's one I'm grounded in my values. I know what is most important to me. Um, in my early days, it was any opportunity to learn and it was less so spending time with family. Now I have a 19 month old, I'm 24 weeks along with my second. I met the love of my life several years ago and I value that community, that family so deeply that I am not gray. I am not confused. I am crystal clear that anything and everything almost could and should be traded off if those things are at risk. So Mm -hmm. that's just, it's clarity. And that's so powerful because when you're clear, then you can communicate it. And then other people know they're number two and number three in my life, Mm -hmm. but that's pretty damn good place to be Mm -hmm. considering you're standing right behind number one or number two. Your non-negotiable there has shifted over time, which is really, obviously you're very self-aware, but the, to be able to share that with people and knowing that, yeah, your one and two might start, your your top three or four might start shifting as your life phases, you said natural life stages. I'll give you an example of how this recently played out. So we had dear friends in Atlanta who have been inviting us to come over and hang out for several weeks. And just the stars haven't aligned. It was, I was out of town one day. My husband was out of town another day. I had meetings and it just felt like we were saying no, you know, three or four times in a row to dear friends who we actually enjoy spending time with. We had set a date to go over to their house to have dinner. Um, And these are not only friends, but people we network with and that we share business opportunities with. So it's fruitful in every part of our lives. And something came up with my travel schedule where I got delayed And then all of a sudden, I only had 24 hours out of almost two weeks to really spend time with my husband and my son on this one weekend day and night that we had planned for weeks to visit these friends that we had previously said no to. And I sent them a note and said, I hate to cancel, but I have not been able to spend time with my husband and child and the schedule's crazy next week and hashtag (laughs) self-care. And they got it, right? And I didn't make up a story. I didn't. It was just, this is it. And so the first step is grounded in values. The second is having people around me that will be honest with me if I'm compromising those. So sometimes I'm better at work than I am at home. Sometimes I'm better at home than I am with work, at work. And I have people around me who will say, hey, I need your engagement a little bit at home. Um, my husband and I have a monthly check-in process where we ask each other questions proactively about how we can be better for each other. It is a religious process where we check in with those who are going to be honest. And so grounded in values, which helps with priorities, and then having something, some person, some process, some reflection, some metric that says, if I know what my values are, is the way I'm spending my time congruent with that. And then the third piece is just building the muscle like any muscle of saying no and figuring out what the ways of saying no are. So for me, there's one way, which is what I just described in the story with my friends, just saying, no, this is not as important as something else that's going on right now. And if they don't understand, that's, you know, that's not my burden to bear. Um, The other way to say no is to say no by saying yes, which I love as well. 
So if someone says, can you do this? Can you, whether it's for funding or mentorship or um, time or to speak, you know, there's only so much time. And so sometimes the way I say no is by saying, no, I can't, but let me introduce you to someone who can. And I'm still providing value, but I'm not compromising the things that I value. So those are my three, that's my three-part approach to getting better at saying no. Values, having someone or a process so you know if you're, you're spending your time in a way that is feeding those values and not detracting from them, and then building the muscle of the different ways to actually say no. You can listen to the entire conversation with Kat Cole by heading to episode 134. And next we have Greg McEwen, who is the New York Times bestselling author of Essentialism, and he is just a thought leader when it comes to life and business and time management once again. So this conversation with Greg was by far one of the most favorites, not only by myself, but from listeners over the last year. Greg, he really is a master when it comes to helping people determine what's essential in their lives and then living that in action and actually carrying that through. So one of the things you can ask yourself is, do you find yourself feeling stretched too thin at times? Do you find situations where your day is just hijacked? So that's literally what Greg helps us do is is get more control of our lives and figure out what is essential. This has been huge for me this year as a major shift in becoming a parent, things and priorities had to be rearranged. And essentialists believe that most things in life are not essential. And non-essentialists believe that most things in life are essential. So if you find yourself moving a millimeter in a million different directions, this conversation hopefully will, will help you because his book, his philosophy, and pointers, specifically in this clip, really helped me. What I learned personally was if you don't prioritize your life, someone else will. And that was really the moment in which I said, okay, so this is the message. This deserves specific, unique research to understand why it is that we say yes to something less important instead of saying, you know, and saying no to something more important, as I did in that instance. And along the way, I learned many things. But one of the things I learned is that it, it's an almost universal problem, that it, it is not unique to me. Maybe no one's pulled a McEwen uh, in, in, in the hospital room moment as I did. But I think many people listening to this will relate to the feeling of tension between competing activities and, and that sensation we have when we, we say yes to something that that's less important. And so people can test this themselves right now by, I mean, here are a few questions for, for, for our consideration. You know, have, have you ever found yourself like I was feeling stretched too thin at work or at home? Uh, have you ever found yourself like I was feeling busy but not necessarily productive? Do you often feel that your day is being hijacked by other people's agenda for you? If the answer to those questions is yes, and I, I found that it is for a very great percentage of the population, uh, then 
what essentialism is, what the book I wrote is, is intended to do is to provide a way out of the sort of madness that has become normalized for a lot of people. And there are so many, I remember your story too about, um, you know, having to make that decision about being in the meeting and, and having just gone through one of life's biggest moments and having a child and, and all of these, you know, that, that story. And it resonated so deeply, you know, with me as will, it will with many other people. I think one of my questions for you is how can people be a better judge of their own capacity before they get to that point? I mean, sometimes we just have to learn, but I think I see it over and over again. And with myself and others, we just think we have more capacity than we do and end up going a millimeter in a million directions, as you say in the book. Uh, so asking yourself those questions is kind of like a, a, a bit of a filter, but how can we become a better judge of what can fit on our plate that matters? I mean, there's you know, one, one reason that I found in my research that people say yes to too much too easily without thinking about it is, uh, is called the planning fallacy. Uh, that's a, it's a, it's a brain heuristic, which means it's a default way that, we, uh, that we're oriented as humans towards decision-making. And the planning fallacy means specifically is one that we underestimate the amount of time it will take to do a thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and we do that really consistently. I mean, that, that's, you know, nobody should feel bad about that. If they're hearing this, oh, yes, I'm guilty of that. Yeah, yeah, of course you are. You're a human. You're going to be guilty of this. So there's not so much you can do to rewire that tendency, but you can, you can adapt knowing that that's a tendency. And, and, and the, you know, one concrete way to adapt is to be able to, to take whatever time estimate you think. So somebody says, oh, you have an idea or someone says to you, hey, here's something that you could do. And at first you think, oh, this is a piece of cake. I can do this in, you know, think about how long it will take you. Okay, I could do this in half an hour. And then I think you need to multiply that by some, you know, amount of time. I think the minimum we ought to uh, to add is like an extra 50% to any time estimate. Mm. That's like the minimum. Um, I once talked to a CEO who said that they'd learned they needed to take any time or budget estimate and multiply it by pi. Uh, mm. <laughs> and I, I, thought, I thought they were exaggerating at that time. Uh, but I've f- come to find that that really is, that there's this feel about right. And so that's the range. So, so just start re- recognizing, oh, I've got, to, I've got to allow more time. You say, okay, I'm going to drive from here. To, I'll, 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 I'll drive from point A to point B, pick someone up, go to an appointment. And you say, oh, I'll do it in 10 minutes. Yeah, but just pause and go, no, it's not 10 minutes. 10 minutes is the fastest humanly possible time you've ever made that trip in. Mm-hmm. It's bound <laughs> to be something that comes up. So you've got to at least do 15 minutes. That's the, that's the minimum adjustment. But then really, what's, there isn't anything so wrong with saying half an hour to such a time estimate because then you get there a little early. And in that earliness and a little bit of breathing space you're adding buffer into your life and what that gives you back is space to think to breathe to be there and that space that almost 
never exists now uh, because we're always just rushing, 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 and our life is this you know, perpetual uh, race sometimes to nowhere. We're just racing from one thing to the next thing to the next thing, and, and, and we, it's not even really we know why we're rushing so fast, uh, but the rush is self-perpetuating. And so it can, uh, it, it can be that we miss a lot of joy uh, along the way, uh, miss a lot of the experiences of life along the way because we're just in this mode to rush. So I think that that's one concrete thing people can do uh, is to adjust this planning policy by multiplying every time estimate, either by minimum 50% and maybe maximum, uh, you know, pie. by pie. <laughs> yeah, wow. And, and and just one of the fundamentals in your book, Essentialism, and, and how you talk about essentialists think almost everything is non-essential and then the opposite for non-essentialists. Um, how do you guide or coach people? I mean, you've, you've worked with clients, just some of the, the biggest brands in the world and these executives. How do you help them remain open, have an open mind, and not get too carried away with, you know, like shiny object syndrome, but also focused on what's essential? Like, are there any – yeah, how do you kind of give them those guardrails or do you? Well, I think that the, the, the case must be made first. Um, the, the value proposition of essentialism and the costs associated with its opposite must be made first. The opposite is non-essentialism, mm-hmm. to, to give this a name. So non-essentialism is an idea. You hinted at it already, this idea that everything is essential. If everything's essential, then we, you know, life is like living at a coal mine. Our job is just to get as much stuff out of, you know, from point A to point B. It's all important. So, so I'm just going to try, as I said before, rush, 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 go get all of this out. And the promise of non-essentialism is that if you rush all the time, if you try and do everything, uh, you know, everything perfect now, if you try and then you will somehow, because of that, immense effort and, and, and strain and stress, you will get the life you want. You will get everything you want in life. You'll get the meaningful relationships. You'll get the, uh, the, the success in your, uh, in your career pursuits. You'll have uh, you know, happiness in your life and joy. I mean, that's the value proposition of non-essentialism. And, and, and basically what I have to say about that is two things. One is, uh, if that's working for you, just keep doing it. You know, I mean, if it's working, if it's giving what it promises, ignore everything I'm saying. Uh, maybe even double down on it. You know, sleep even less. Don't sleep at all. Say yes to everything that anyone else is doing and try to do it all perfectly. I mean, if it's working, if it works, keep doing it. Uh, and, and the second thing I have to say about it is that, is that what I have learned from personal experience, but also now from working with uh, you know, a, 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 um, a good number of people, is that that turns out not to actually work. You know, non-essentialism turns out inconveniently uh, to be a lie. And uh, so it's so it's a uh, we, we, we've been sold a bill of goods, told and sold for a great period of time now that this will work and it doesn't work. And so so then you say, OK, well, well then what's the promise of essentialism? Essentialism's argument is is simple. Uh, it says, look, only once you give yourself permission not to try and do it all to be thoughtful and selective about the most valuable, most useful, most important work in life, 
Will you start to make progress on those things that matter most to you and then have the satisfaction of getting the right things done, having greater joy in the journey because you're not just spread so thin, rushing uh, to and fro without really a direction in mind. And so you get more more joy and satisfaction in the journey as well. But that's that's the value proposition of, of both sides. If somebody can come to reject non-essentialism, the logic of non-essentialism, the illogic of it, and come to embrace the logic and mindset of an essentialist, uh, really the, the argument is now made. There's no organ rejection after that. Uh, and I found that people, especially people that will be listening today, driven, capable, curious people that have bought into this, this way of uh, living, this, uh, this non-essential way of living, are actually eager to be persuaded that there's an alternative. And, uh, and they, they want to make a change because they recognize that what got them here won't get them to there. And you can listen to the entire chat with Greg by heading to Why Not Now, episode 152. I just want to take a moment to thank each and every one of you for listening to the show this year. We are in year three. Uh, It has been a surprise and delight, this little podcast that could started out of a passion project, just an innocent passion project and a lot of curiosity, and you've made it a pillar in my life. And I just am honored to be able to be in your ears each week and shine some light on some incredible why notters, innovators, renegades. And I wish you the best in the new year. And we will see you on the flip side in 2020. Thanks for listening to the show. Hit me up on social media to let me know what you think. I'm at Amy Jo Martin on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And I want to hear your why not now moments so I can share them on the show. Just send me a note to why not now at amyjomartin.com. For show notes and other offers, you can visit amyjomartin.com forward slash why not now. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for my email newsletter for exclusive content and announcements. A big thanks to Rock Salt Music for all of the tunes by the talented John Coggins. And of course, a hat tip to Richard Gruer for editing and producing the show. I'll see you next time. And until then, why not now? Thank you.